Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Amen. Yes? Amen. All right. Thank you. What a wonderful, wonderful gift. Beloved, our reading this morning comes to us from the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is part of a larger literary unit known as the Torah or the Pentateuch, containing five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, can you tell which one's my favorite, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, the common English title, Exodus, is actually inherited from the Greek title of that book, Exodos, which is a compound word made up of two Greek words, ek, which means out of, and hados, which means road. So literally, Exodus means the road out. Exodus is a book detailing the beginnings of the people of Israel, a chosen people, consecrated and set apart as a holy nation that is liberated by God and led out into the formational space of the wilderness. The main character of Exodus is Moses. Moses, the man chosen by God to lead the Hebrew people out of Egyptian bondage, to preside at Mount Sinai, the place where the law is given to the people by God, and to lead the Hebrew people into the promised land. Yet in our reading today, we don't find a great and mighty prophet. We find a shepherd simply tending to his father-in-law's sheep in the land of Midian. And it seemed like a normal day, a routine day. Then, quite expectedly, amongst the quiet and simpleness of that day, something extraordinary happened and everything changed forever. A reading from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. And then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt, I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk 
and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. Now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. Mystery of everlasting love, Jesus, the wondrous Lord, the God who came to earth and died and rose again. We live your Over the last few weeks, we have encountered some of the most bizarre, unbelievable, outlandish, laugh-out-loud, ridiculous stories of the Bible that on the surface make no sense at all, but I hope as we have seen beneath the surface, they possess this depth of wisdom that makes all the sense in the world. Weird stories about a level-headed, silver-tongued donkey who talks some sense into her dim-witted, simple-minded owner about some hard-hitting kid-mauling she-bears who burst out of the woods like some kind of Kool-Aid man to butcher 42 youths for jeering Elisha's baldness, or last week the one about this strong-willed God-defying prophet who gets swallowed up by some giant fish but who turns out to be so wretched that not even the fish can stomach him without throwing him back up. The Bible gets really weird sometimes, but these strange stories are really packed with divine punch. And reading them literally would be an exercise in missing the point, because in them there is this depth of wisdom and meaning that is beneath the surface and it has the power to change our lives and our world like today's story about a burning bush in the wilderness that speaks to this homicidal fugitive named Moses who's just trying to fly under the radar and slow roll his life when God calls him to lead a whole nation out of slavery as part of some kind of epically impossible mass migration project. And it's a weird story because uh, bushes that are on fire but are not actually consumed are pretty spooky. And bushes that are on fire and are actually talking are super freaky. And anyone who stops to listen to a burning bush that's actually talking should probably see a therapist pronto. (laughs) Or maybe just back off a little on the psychedelics, right? You've probably heard this story before. It's a weird story. 
If you haven't heard it, you probably at least have seen the the movie with Charlton Heston before he got weird. (laughs) It sounds like another magical, mystical, mythological tale from another world that has no relevance to the world that we're living in now. Because bushes don't catch fire without being consumed. And because bushes just don't talk, unless it's 1972 when you're watching the Magic Garden. Maybe, maybe though, this is not a story about a burning bush that speaks. Maybe it's a story about something else that suddenly catches fire and gives voice to this divine dream that has long since been silenced. And to understand this story, it helps, I think, to have some background. And at this point in the story, Moses is trying to break free from his troubled past by inconspicuously tending the sheep of his new father-in-law, Jethro, in the wilderness of Midian. And Moses, at this point in the story, is at the top of Pharaoh's 10 most wanted list before losing his temper and killing a ruthless Egyptian taskmaster one day. And after that murder, Moses flees Egypt And on his way out of Dodge, he meets a priest named Jethro. Actually, he meets a beautiful woman named Zipporah, who happens to be uh, Jethro's daughter. And immediately he crushes on Zipporah, and, and they eventually get married. And Zipporah and Moses, they have a baby together. And life suddenly gets complicated when kids get involved. Here he is, newly married, a wanted fugitive, or he's running from the law, he's hiding from the past, he's fearing for his own life, and now he's fathering a child. There's a lot of craziness going on in his life, and all he wants to do, I think, is just settle in for a while, to lay low, to slow his roll, to tend some sheep and take a breather, and I think mostly he wants to forget about Pharaoh. And he wants to forget about that awful oppression that his fellow Hebrew people are going through back in Egypt. And I bet he thinks to himself, can somebody else for a change solve the world's problems other than me? And so Moses pieces out in the wilderness and he believes his best days are behind him. He's a shepherd now and that's that. He has a wife, a family, a decent job. He's living a good enough life, peaceful, predictable. His future is in Midian now. No expectations, no responsibilities. At this point in the story, he's a little bit like that character in the film American Beauty, uh, Lester Burnham, who quits his position at the marketing firm to work at an entry-level food job at uh, Mr. Smiley's where he tells the manager when he applies for the job, I want the least amount of responsibility possible. Moses settles for this humdrum kind of life in a forgotten place called Midian. And every day it's feed the sheep and shear the sheep and shepherd the sheep and you get up tomorrow and you do it all over again. Does that sound a little bit like your life sometimes? Have you ever been to Midian, so to speak? I think at one time or another, all of us have been to Midian, 
where we feel a little stuck, stuck in a job or stuck in a relationship or stuck in a, a funk or stuck in a moment. And maybe we suspect that life could be better, that we're in the wrong place, but we can't figure it out. And we wonder if God will ever do something to spark a fire. There are times in our lives when every one of us just has to show up and do our jobs in Midian. We have to do the best we can in the places that we've been planted, where we've landed. And some of the most respectful people in my life are those who day in and day out have spent some time in Midian and with great endurance and perseverance and they've done their work and never given up. But what makes them so extraordinary is that they actually didn't settle. They knew all along that Midian wasn't where they were meant to be, but it's where they were then. And they knew that the world is much bigger than Midian. There's something more possible. And sometimes in those moments, we need a reminder that we are more than we have become. We are more than we have become. And we need someone or something to tell us that it's not enough to to just punch the clock in Midian, where like that show, The Office, every day just feels like another Monday. And we are content to do the same things we've always done a million times before. Moses is just punching the clock when a bush suddenly ignites. God speaks and Moses listens. And he hears what he, what he doesn't want to hear, but I think what he desperately longs to hear. And that is that Midian is just too small for him. And that he's meant for so much more than leading sheep in the wilderness. He's meant, in fact, to lead his people through the wilderness, out of slavery, out of Egypt, into freedom, into a land that has rivers flowing with milk and honey. Moses is commanded to remove his sandals from his feet because that very place is holy ground. And that very moment is a holy moment in the ordinariness of his world. Over the centuries, the Midrashic teachings of the ancient rabbis, uh, they they show that, that many of the ancient rabbis believed that this story was not about a burning bush so much as it was about Moses' life. In the wilderness, they said, in the wilderness of Midian, Moses saw himself, his true self. He saw the person he used to be and the fiery passion that he once had. He saw the past that he couldn't run from. He saw the, the destiny that was no longer resistible. And they said that in the fire, he saw the person he used to be, that once gifted leader of people who who once burned with compassion for his people. And they said that in the burning bush, he saw that his fire hadn't gone out after all. And in the voice, what he heard was that he had a destiny. This, this idea, and I said that it had been long since silence, had begun to, to find words again. This is the real miracle of the burning bush story. As Moses is drawn to the flames of the fire, he's drawn back to himself and back to the heart of fire that wants to find his destiny. 
The, the ancient Hebrews drew this linguistic connection between the flame of fire, in the Hebrew that word is levah, and, 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 and the, the, the heart of fire in Moses, and that word is lev. They sound a lot alike, and it's no accident. And what they said is this flame burned within Moses' heart. It never gone out. His deep instinctive resistance and opposition to slavery, his love for his people, his calling, that was the message that emanated from the flames. We tend to read this story as if uh, this was all welcomed news for Moses. And it does kind of sound dreamy, doesn't it? Wouldn't we all like to experience a spiritual epiphany in which we hear clearly the voice of God directly to us? telling us what to do next and promising heroic outcomes? Sign me up. And we think Moses would be a fool to refuse, only he is reluctant. He has plenty of good excuses in the story that follows. Uh, God, who am I to do this? Uh, What if the people don't believe me? Uh, I had this speech impediment. What if the, the people laugh at me? And there are burning bushes all around us. That's what the story says. But Moses reminds us that some bushes in our lives and the world burn with such great intensity that they require serious courage to actually see them and to act on them. Some of those bushes that are burning around us are calling us to make personal changes in our lives as it was with Moses, to step up, and to step into and to step forward toward God's greater call in the world and our lives. Great writer Stephen Pressfield, he describes this season in his life in which he found himself at a critical turning point. He always had this deep, deep calling to become a writer, but he struggled with feelings of shame and fear. He, he wanted to pursue the writer's life, but fear always seemed to delay the dream. And for much of his life, he was empty and dissatisfied. And he was living in a small cabin in the woods, and he encountered this stranger that challenged him to finally pursue the long-delayed dream. And the stranger, he says, it turned out, was this red-headed cat that would come around every night at dinner time. This old battle-scarred tomcat that lived in the woods. And Pressfield would cook supper outside uh, on the patio next to the, the woods and this, this tomcat every night would stroll in and just sit and look at him, stare at him. And Pressfield said he tried to toss scraps of meat to him but this cat was nobody's pet. And Pressfield said that on this cinder block step just out back, 10 feet away from the woods, this cat would just sit there with his big front paws beneath him. And Pressfield said this cat regarded him with an expression that was somewhere between condescension and disdain. A typical cat. There was no doubt, he said, which one of them was the superior being, which one possessed self-sovereignty, which one actually had his act together. And he said, that cat every night looked at me as if it was trying to decide whether or not to kick my tail. But he came to admire the cat, became this unlikely catalyst. The very presence and manner of this cat reminded Pressfield that he had to do something with his life. The cat was a, a call to action. And some burning bushes are like that cat, ordinary things 
that are hidden in plain sight. But if we see them and we hear something in them of a divine, it might serve as a catalyst to get us moving. But there's another aspect to this story. It's not only inward facing. There's another burning bush image here, and that is that some of those burning bushes out there point to truths about the world that we try to avoid. Because when we act on those burning bushes, life becomes consequential. And in Midian, tending sheep, that's often more attractive. Some burning bushes, uh, they, they ask us to make some very hard choices. Will I settle for what I see in the world? Or will I dare to free Pharaoh's slaves? Almost always we want to default to sheep tending. And we leave that part of our souls empty and unsatisfied. Have you ever looked at the world or your community and maybe even in your life, people in your life, and said to yourself, I don't know what it is, but something's not right. Burning bushes do that for us. Colson Whitehead's great novel, The Nickel Boys, is a fictional story about the true accounts of the Dozier School for Boys in Mariana, Florida. Historically, it's been proven the Dozier School was this notorious state-run reform institution. It closed just 12 years ago in 2011. And it closed after dozens and dozens of former students, now old men, uh, began telling stories of, of these brutal beatings and these unspeakable abuses administered by school officials over decades. In Dozier's 100 years of operation, at least 81 boys died at the school as a result of these beatings. But it turned out that only 31 of them were interred in the school cemetery. Nobody knows where the other 50 boys are buried. And in Whitehead's fictional account of the Dozier School, um, the school cemetery contains only the graves of the white boys who died there. And the black boys had been buried in some undisclosed, unknown, unmarked cemetery. And there's this powerful scene in the Nickel Boys book in which this team of archaeologists, their students from a local university, are excavating the official cemetery when one of them wanders off and finds herself on the other side of the campus. That is where the black boys had been segregated. And it's there that she discovers the unmarked cemetery. And when she is asked how she was able to spot the hidden graves, she says this. She says, the dirt looked wrong. The dirt looked wrong. There was something about the sunken earth, the scrabbly weeds that, that caught her eye and it was something about the dirt that just wasn't right and, and that called her to look closer. And she heard and discovered the truth. The dirt looked wrong. Haven't we all had those moments in our lives when we have witnessed something that didn't seem right but we struggle to name with, with any conviction what it was? Maybe somebody does something hurtful or inappropriate that 
that just doesn't sit well with you, something that needs to be called out? Or you witness some behavior in a a close friend who is wandering closer and closer to self-destructive behaviors that are disastrous for him, and and he doesn't have the, the words and the wisdom, the presence of mind to know what's going on. In those moments you wonder, is there something else going on beneath the surface, underlying issues? A child who seems depressed, but she can't name it. Or a friend at work who, who's, who seems so lost and detached, but, but doesn't know it. Uh, some injustice in the world that uh, we've all come to ex- accept as the new normal. Uh, you name it, another mass shooting, another hate crime in the world. These are burning bushes too, and they're calling us action. You pay attention to these burning bushes, and when you do, you hear the divine voice calling us to the work of liberation in the world. If we resist the temptation to look away from them, and if we walk toward them like Moses, we'll hear what God has to say to us. And why is that so important? Because the pharaohs of this world, and there are a lot of them, They're always counting on the fact that you'll look away. Evil, injustice, oppression always thrive in a a climate of denial and indifference. And Pharaoh is always banking on the fact that we are going to look away. He knows that denial is the most powerful force in the universe and in you. Our takeaways for today is sometimes... We all need divine reminders that we are more than we have become. And most burning bushes are hidden in plain sight. And Pharaoh is always betting on the odds that you and I will turn away from those bushes. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.